Um, and we're going to start in uh, Acts 22. Acts 22. And today I'm talking about Saul or Paul, right? And it's cool. I can move around because you don't, don't have to worry about the projector. Uh, I can move around, which I think is really cool. I get to move around today, be in front of the projector. I'm not going to block anything. I can, I can come up here, pretend, make her very you know, uncomfortable. It's going to be a great service, guys. It's going to be great. So uh, I might call on you to read scripture. Uh, it's going to be, oh, 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 hot mic, hot mic. Oh my, I'm getting a little too crazy here. Sorry, guys. Okay. Today's message is called Encountering Jesus. Encountering Jesus. And I wanted to start with that because how do you describe Paul's conversion? It's certainly abnormal. He even said I was abnormally born, right? And it's hard to even relate to Paul in some ways. Because he was such a crazy, amazing man. I mean, he was amazing. He was 15 talented men. I mean, he was scholarly. He was Harvard, PhD, uh, uh, the rhetoric of, of Martin Luther King. He, he was one of the greatest men of all time, I believe. He was made and born, the Bible says, to be an apostle. You know, it says, God set me apart from birth. To be an apostle. You know, God, God obviously has a plan for each one of us. And yet, what was he doing before being called out into the faith? He was killing Christians. And that's what's amazing. I think sometimes we can forget who Paul was. And we can just kind of be reveled in his letters and, and be amazed. I mean, when you read the book of Romans, just think about that for a second. We know the Holy Spirit worked through this man. But are you serious? The book of Romans is one of the most incredible treaties on the gospel ever written, ever seen. If you read the book of Romans, it's incredibly packed with scripture that he literally quotes from his own mind. And he's able to break down scripture through the Holy Spirit. We know he's carried along by the Holy Spirit. But his letters are incredible. And yes, we know the Holy Spirit was working through him, but he was also a man of great boldness and courage. He was a man that got stoned, got back up and went into the same city that he was stoned in and kept preaching. Think about that for a second. If you got stoned by the people in a city, would you go back in there? I would say, let's go to the next city. They left him for dead. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, I got hit in the head with a rock. You know, I'm going back. It was, I, they, they thought he was dead. He got back up, and he went back into the city. What drove Paul? There was no other man that I know that was more driven <clears throat> to preach the word. He had ambitions to go to Spain. You know, you've already done so much. You've, you've preached to the known world. You want to go to Spain now. He, he had ambitions. He was ambitious for God. He longed to preach where no one else has heard the message. And he was a man of passion. But what drove this man's passions? And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. But it all started with an encounter with Jesus. And that's how it all starts for us. 
It all starts with encounter of Jesus. And I want to just give you the definition of an encounter. Because, you know, it's like, uh, what does that word even mean, an encounter? It means an unexpectedly uh, uh, meeting, an unexpected meeting where you're faced with something difficult or hostile. To meet someone unexpectedly. You ever meet someone unexpectedly that you don't want to meet? That's the almost awkward thing. You're in the grocery store, you bump into the person, you're like, oh, hello. <laughs> you can't run away. You, you can't do it. You just have to kind of bear through it. And that person's awkward too. They're like, hello. Nice day we're having here. Yes. You know, and you just have to walk on by. Have a nice day. That was awkward, you know. You've been there before, right? And as disciples, we never feel that way because we all love everyone. <laughs> but this is an encounter where it's the last person you think you'd meet on the road to Damascus is the one you're persecuting, Jesus Christ. That's crazy. The last person you'd ever think would, would come and, and confront you with the fact that you are dead wrong would be Jesus of Nazareth, who you are persecuting. And so I want to do a little bit of background on this man, Paul, just quickly. There's so much we could do on that. It could take a whole sermon. We could do a whole class on Paul. That would be an amazing class, wouldn't it? That could be a whole thing, just what drove Paul, the motivations of Paul. We could go into all that, but I'm going to try to keep this brief and, and give you scriptures to read on your own, okay? But let's go to Acts 22, because I think these two passages really display his background. So Paul shared his conversion three times in the book of Acts, right? Acts 9, Acts 22, Acts 26. So if you ever want to hear that, and they're all told from different kind of perspectives, so it's really cool to kind of put them all together and go, okay, what happened to this guy? And they're all told from different perspectives, uh, some two kings, as he's trying to explain what happened to him on the road to Damascus. And in Acts 9, it kind of gives you Luke's version of it. In Acts 22, it's him sharing his faith. And I think it's awesome. One thing I want to say, just this is free. This is a commercial break, right? Paul shared his conversion often to people. How about you? Do you share your conversion often? Or do people think you were just born a Christian? Oh, he's just always been a Christian. Sometimes people are like, wow, you really were involved in that? You know, wow, really? I love that. Really? I'm like, I don't think it should surprise you, you know. It, it, we're all sinners, but, but more importantly, like, you can kind of see someone's past. If you look at them, you know them, their personality. You know, you know who's the wild and crazy guys, and then some people surprise you. You know, you're like, oh, wow. I remember I shared my conversion story to the church, and my mom heard me. And she's like, you never did any of that, did you? He's <laughs> like, Mom, uh, yeah, I didn't lie to the church. She was like, well, you must have embellished it a little bit. Just certainly not. And I'm like, certainly, yes, that's what I did. I was a sinner, right? Well, it's important for us to remember that we were sinners, that we are sinners. And the, the true uh, sign of maturity in a Christian are two things. You get more grateful. You get more grateful. You know you're maturing if you're more grateful. That's a hard one, isn't it? 
Because sometimes we can, you know, I, my goal is to be more grateful than I was when I was a young Christian. And, and that's a really good place to start. Are you giddy like you were as a young Christian? Do you feel? It doesn't have to be excitement, but gratitude, right? The second thing is you see yourself, you see God in such a huge way now that you realize your unworthiness compared to him. So essentially, as Paul grew in the faith, and, and you know, as you look through the letters, he grew in his faith. He grew from going, I don't even deserve to be an apostle because I persecuted the church and I was a blasphemer of God. Then he says, I'm the worst of all God's people. I'm the least of all God's people. So he starts there. He says, you know, out of all God's people, I'm the least. You know, I'm the least of all the people. I, I don't even deserve to be in the I got in like last minute, you know. I got in just, just when I could have, you know. I don't deserve to be here. What about the guy that drinks blood that you baptize? What about the guy who, who's a homosexual offender? What about the guy who killed people? What about the guy who, who swindled people, the tax collectors, the prostitutes? Wait, you're worse than they were? You're worse than they? Yes, I was. Sometimes it's even hard to believe that Paul saw himself that way. But then further on, he sees himself as the worst of all the sinners. The worst of all the sinners? There was a guy named Nero that lived among your time. He was, you know, if I'm going to pick the worst of all sinners, Nero, man. That guy was seriously trouble. He assassinated his own kin to have power. He was sick. He was kind of crazy in the head. He lit the Christians on fire. To, like, to give them, to, to light up the sky. He was crazy. I mean, he was cray-cray, and he was also sinful. And you put those two things together, you have Nero. He killed two apostles, okay? And that's kind of crazy because an apostle back then, you were kind of scared to kill an apostle. It wasn't like something where, hey, like, let's just kill an apostle. He had the nerve to kill Peter and Paul. That's a wicked man. And we went to Rome, we visited Rome, and they hated him so much. The people that he led, they buried his palace in dirt. They said, we're building a new palace, forget this palace, we hate this dude, we're going to put the dirt all over him, and we're never going to think of him again. And they had to excavate Nero's palace, and I went through Nero's palace, and it wasn't that impressive, right, because, you know, it's covered in dirt. But think about that. He says, I'm the worst of all sinners. Wow. That was his belief. He said, this is a trustworthy saying and deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, whom I am the worst. Wow. The signs of maturity is being more grateful. Why? Well, how do we get more grateful? Do we write down a thousand things? Yes, we can do that. But more importantly, you have to realize who you are as a sinner before a living God without the blood of Jesus. And when you really get in touch with that, that's powerful. I would say that, that Paul was the greatest Christian of all time. The goat. I'm going to say it. He was the goat. You go, what do you mean? How can you say that? But he was also the most grateful Christian of all time. And I believe that the greater your gratitude the greater the Christian you're going to be. The greater you're in touch with your sin and your sinfulness that we can sometimes have amnesia about sometimes, the greater you are. 
How enticed? I'm not talking about beating yourself up about your sin. I'm talking about looking at the cross, looking at Jesus and going, I don't even deserve to be looking at him right now. You know? It's awesome. Acts 22. Let's get a little bit of history. That was my little intro. Amen. It's going to free flow today. Amen. Acts 22, verse 3. He tells you a little bit of his background. Okay? This is kind of cool. In verse 3, he says, I, w- I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel, who was like the greatest of all time, you know, teachers, Sanhedrin leader. And was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I love that. Talk about zeal. This dude was zealous. Have you ever met a guy this zealous? You've not. You've not met a man as zealous as Paul. He said in Romans 12, never be lacking in zeal. He was living that out. This guy, if he was for you, amen. If he was against you, Amen. You're in trouble. He was so zealous. He was more zealous than Caiaphas, more zealous than Annas, more zealous than all these guys. He was like, I'm going to go find those Christians and make them blaspheme and prove that they're all wrong and stop the Christian movement. Imagine trying to do that. The nerve, but also the, the zeal that he had to stop Christianity. And we know that Gamaliel even said, If this is from God, you will just be fighting God. Even his own trainer was like, relax. Paul was zealous. He was zealous for God. And he said, I persecute the followers of this way, verse 4, to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council ran, can, can themselves testify I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Dude, that's crazy. So he was like a missionary to stop Christianity. Imagine that. Like, hey, I'm going to go into America and I'm just going to go find all the Christians and arrest them. Wow. Babies and children and mothers and, 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 you know, just fine outstanding people he was taking and bringing them into prison and it was working and he was he was he was hurting the church he was breathing out murderous threats the bible says toward the church he was a little bit uh uh he wasn't a little bit he was a lot of bit impacting the christian life he was but he was just one man and this one man was able to do this and he ultimately killed stephen Let's go to Acts 26 now, guys. Uh, verse 4, this is where it starts off, and he's speaking to Agrippa. Uh, the Bible says, verse 4, The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. So this guy was known. Oh, that's, that's Saul of Tarsus. We know him. He's the new hotshot. In the Pharisee land, he's, he's a Pharisee, and he's probably younger than any other Pharisee, and he's part of the Sanhedrin, and, you know, to be young back then and to be welcomed, you were extraordinary. Camillo's like, I don't know, I know he's young, I know he shouldn't be here, but we need to bring him in. Paul, man, he saw, he's, he's amazing. 
The guy's mind is amazing. His passion is amazing. There's no one more faultless in the law than he is, more blameless. Well, let's test him. They tested him. Man, he, he, he passed the test. We need to have you. We need you in our group. Young people get put in groups like that because they're needed. And he was a needed part of that group. He was an extraordinary Jew. He was the Jew of Jews. He was the Jew of Jews of Jews. He was the greatest Jew and the greatest Christian. <laughs> you know, when the Bible says, hey, if someone is blaspheming God, stone him. He was like, yes, that's what I will do. You know, if someone defiles God, I will call them out and stop this because I know what happened in the book of Kings and it's not going to happen again. Not on my watch. This guy was on fire. It says in verse 5, they have known me for a long time <laughs> and can testify, if they're willing, that I conform to the strict sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I too am in trial today. This promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as we earnestly serve God day and night. King Garepa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. The Bible says many of the Lord's people. Paul's not exaggerating here. Many of the, what is that? Is that thousands? Is that hundreds of people in prison? And when they were put to death, when they were put to death. So we're not talking about just one man, Stephen. Sometimes we think, oh, Paul just probably just killed Stephen. No, it says they were put to death. We don't hear it recorded. Stephen was the first martyr, if you will, after Jesus. But he, there was more. I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. What did that mean to have them punished? Flogged? Beaten? He was a violent man. He was a frustrated man. He was a man on fire for God, but he was also a man of violence. I was so obsessed. Oh, he says, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. So what does that mean? It means, is Jesus of Nazareth God? That's a hard position to put a Christian in. What are you supposed to say? Yes. And then what do you think happens? You claim you are blaspheming God. God is not a man. God can never be a man. He is just, he is just a man and you are, you, are, you are defiling Yahweh. I can't even say his name. You are defiling him. And you will be punished for that. And I actually can stone you, but I will punish you more uh, severely. You will wish you'll be stoned after I treat you this way. I was so obsessed with the persecuting of them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. This is Saul of Tarsus. His name means large, impressive, right? His name's Saul. We think about Saul, the person that was a head higher than everyone else, you know? Now, I don't know why he was so fired up about that guy because he kind of tanked it at the end, Amen. You know, but he changed his name to Paul, which means small. Interesting. Interesting thought there. 
I must be, he must become greater. I must become less, yeah. you know? And I wish we did change names <laughs> at baptism. I, I, I like that. That's a cool thing to do. I don't know if it's necessarily a biblical thing. I don't know. It, it might be just a choice thing. But, but maybe we could start doing that. I don't know. But I, would, I, I like changing my name from Glenn because, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of cool. But, it's, you know, I like my name. But it'd be cool to have, like, a more biblical thought name. You know what I mean? I, I think Joshua. I'd like to be Joshua. But then it would get a little confusing with Joshua. So, I, you know, it's, it's challenging. Just, I wouldn't want to be Manasseh. That was the only one I wouldn't want to be. But he repented, guys. He repented. All right. So let's go to Acts 7. I know I'm doing a little background here, but I think it's important for us to know this man. Acts chapter 7. We're going to look at Stephen. Acts chapter 7, verse 57. He gives this amazing speech. It was like they were trying to set him up. You could tell. They were trying to set Stephen up, and he took the bait, man. He didn't just take the bet. He, like, handed them a stone. He was like, let's do this. Meaning, he was instigating them. And, and in verse um, uh, 7, <laughs> he, he calls him, verse... Chapter 7, verse 51, you stiff-necked people, your hearts, our ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You can see the tenor. He is rebuking these people. And Saul is there, right there, hearing him. And when the members, verse 54, of the Sanhedrin, he was speaking to the Sanhedrin. He wasn't talking to some, you know, schleps, Jewish schleps. He was talking to the highest of high spiritual leaders, he says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand, said, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, standing at the right hand of God. Blasphemy right there. Yeah. To, to, to say that, that, a, that another man who was a carpenter from Nazareth was, was at the right hand of the living God the consuming fire that no one can see? You know, how, how could you ever say that? As they covered their ears, verse 57, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, and Saul approved of their killing him. That's, that's Paul's, he's, that's the worst part of Acts right there for Paul. That's terrible, right? How about, a, how about the prayer of Stephen, guys? Amazing. Don't ever think your prayers aren't heard by God, and, and who knows? Who knows, guys? Let me ask you a question. If you were God, what would you do with Saul of Tarsus? I think we all have the same answer. Let's say it together, Gal. Kill him. Herod, who was like a, a, a fat buffoon, let's just say it. You know, he was, he was that guy. You know, he was just this, 
He's this, this crazy, gluttonous man who was sinful and terrible, and, and he was awful, and he was his, his you know, father put Jesus to death, essentially helped him to do that. This guy, blaspheming God, he didn't give praise to God, and worms started coming out of his belly and killed him on the spot. Yeah. And he tried to kill Peter, right? He's going to behead Peter. He beheaded James, right? Think about that. Wouldn't it have been the right thing just to kill him? What would you do if you were God? Good thing we're not God. Good thing I'm not God. Because I would have certainly killed him. He was standing in the way of preaching God's message. And the amazing part of God said, no, God, you guys don't see what I see. You don't see. I know he's a sinner. I know he's really a piece of work. But I'm going to make him the greatest Christian of all time. That's our God. Amen. That's what it means to have an encounter with Jesus. And we're going to jump right in. It says they, let, they put their coats right on the ground. And, and what does that mean? That, that means two things. When you're about to fight, what do you do? You take off your coat, right? You start rolling up your sleeves. So that's partly, you know, I always think, what does that mean? They put the coats. Partially it was like, we're about to kill this dude, you know? The second thing was a sign of submission. If you throw your coats, you know, it'd be a sign of submission, Right? You know, saying, you know, to, to, to breathe, a sign of submission, right? It's like, you know, what do you want us to do? We're here. And Saul, maybe he nodded his head. Maybe he said, and they started stoning. You know, a Pharisee is too holy to pick up stones. So other people need to do it. You notice how that? That's, how, that's the worst thing I think about the Pharisees, that they never got their hands dirty. No, no, we don't want the money. That's the worst of all sinners. When you don't, you, you, you don't want to be even seen as a sinner. So you have other people sin for you. I don't have the guts to throw this stone, so I'm going to have you do it. That's, that's not good. And it was a gesture of submission, but it was also... Sorry, Um, but really, as we, as we come in for a landing here, thinking about this, and you're like, what are you coming? This is the intro? I want you to really see who this man was, because the next things we talk about are going to really hit home. Acts 9. Let's go to Acts 9, guys. Okay. We're just going to look at this one passage about the encounter of Jesus. And I have two quick points. They're going to be real quick, so you've got to write them down. Blinded by the light. Don't finish the song. Just blinded by the light, period. And second point, the most graceful Christian of all time. Or you can say the most goat. Grateful, right? You know, grateful of all time, right? The grateful Christian of all time. Um, blinded by the light. Chapter 9. Verse 1. You go, I can't relate to this guy. I wasn't killing Christians. Yeah, we all killed Jesus. Right. What's worse, killing Jesus or killing, killing Christians? We also, even if we grew up religious, we are ignorant of the Lord. And just because you go to church doesn't mean you know the Lord. Just because you come to service. How do you know the Lord? You have to have an encounter with Jesus. 
Every one of us had your, you remember your road to Damascus? When you were blinded by the light of Jesus Christ? Wow. Well, we're going to read about one man's story. Verse 1. <clears throat> Meanwhile, <clears throat> Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that he found any there who belonged to the way, or men and women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, <clears throat> the Bible says, he said it in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go in the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So he led them by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord said, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named Tarsus, named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he had seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands to him and restore his sight. I love Ananias' response here. Uh, Lord, I know you know all things. Uh, Lord, I have heard, I don't know if you've heard, you're up in heaven, I'm here. I've heard some, some reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people, your, your holy people, I'm being one of them, in Jerusalem. And he, he has come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who come on his name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. He didn't even validate what he said. Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house, entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to you that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. I love a couple things in this. First, Ananias went. Come on, Ananias. What if he was like, Lord, I'm not feeling comfortable about this. I mean, I got boundaries, Lord. <laughs> no, he's, he went. Yeah. You know, we need to obey God. Amen. We need to obey God because miracles happen when we obey God. That's right. You know, it's not about being an amazing person. It's just about obeying God. Amen. Go make disciples. Miracles are awaiting. Mm. You know, don't make your, your money treasure it, it, the heart, you know, that you... you where your heart is, there you know, where your church, there's your heart is, right? Yeah. He says, give, be generous. Miracles will happen. Yeah. You know? He says, forgive your brother because miracles will happen. 
We know in this room, some of the people we had most beef with are our best friends now. That's a miracle. Isn't that a miracle? Amen. In the world, does that happen? But usually, you guys have a lot in common. If you fight with someone in this room, you actually have more in common than you don't. Because yeah. like-minded people fight sometimes. Right? That's just a little insight that I've seen. You know, it's the Laban principle all the time. You know, you did something to someone, they doing something to you, and you're like, that's not right. What he did wasn't right. And then you have three fingers pointing back at you going, oh, oh yeah, I did the same thing to that brother the other day. Oh, man. Right? But miracles happen, guys, when we just obey God. And it says he could see again. And before taking food, have you ever fasted for three days without food or water? I've never done that. I've never done food and water. Just think about your, I mean, just, I just get nasty, but you're just like, you know, you just, you have no water in your system. Your, your strength is sapped. It's easy to, in some ways, without food for most of us, for a day or two, three is getting hard, but a whole three days without food and water. And he, what's the first thing he did? He got baptized. Interesting. Why don't we just wait till the baptismal service happens? No, no, he said, before I eat, I got to get in that water. The Bible says in Acts twenty two sixteen, it says that, what are you waiting for? Get up, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And I had to say that to Paul. That's kind of cool too. And Paul was so zealous, right, for God, but he was like trembling at this point because he was blinded by the light. What is your road to Damascus? I want you to do something. This week, I want you to do something in your quiet time. I want you to write your conversion story as if you were Paul. It's kind of interesting. I want you to think, what were you doing when you had an encounter with Jesus? Maybe it was the cross study for you. Some of us, it was the cross study. Some of us was not in a study at all. You know, my encounter with Jesus was when they said, no, we're not going to baptize you. I had a towel with me. Don't you love that? I was like, I'm getting baptized. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> They're like, we're not baptizing you. You're not, you're not putting Jesus first. And I, you know, the first, you're like, <clears throat> what? Yeah. What did you say? Isn't it awesome that I'm here getting bad? I'm responding to the gospel. No, no, you're not seeking God's kingdom first. You're canceling studies. You're not serious. I'm not baptizing you. Go pray to put God's kingdom first. I went up on a rooftop in New York City. It was, it was July, and there was tar. You know how the tar gets heated up? Yes. And I was praying on my knees with the tar. And I was all, you know. I didn't want to do that. I just realized, I, they, they looked at me like, what, what happened to you? You know, I came back, and I was surrendering my life to Jesus. I said, I don't know how to do this, Lord. I, I'm not doing well in my life. I am stinking it out. I am wrong. I am not a humble person. I have not made you Lord of my life. My time is mine. Basketball is my idol. I'm an idol. I need to surrender my life. And I remember coming back. And one of the things that was hard was that I was supposed to go to a basketball camp in Utah. And they said, we'll baptize you Sunday. And I knew. And they asked the question, if you get on that plane and it goes down, which statistically isn't necessarily 
usually happening. But if it happens, where will you go? That's what they asked me. You go, that's very harsh. That doesn't seem like loving brothers. No, man, that was my road to Damascus. And I said, I surrender it all. I'm not going to the camp. If I miss the camp, I miss the camp. I'm getting baptized Sunday. It's more important. And in that prayer, I remember saying, God, please, if you can make both work, that'd be great. But if you, if you can, but I'm getting baptized tomorrow. And you know, and this is not, that's not even like a big deal. Like, oh, basketball camp. You missed your basketball camp, you know? Poor you, you're such a spiritual guy. You know what I mean? It's not that important. It's stupid. I mean, but that's what we all go through, right? Stupid things hold us back from God. But that was my road to Damascus. And I realized... I've done this life wrong, and now I need to be right. What's your road to Damascus? What is your road to Damascus? When you were, like, faced with yourself. You know, what was the road to Damascus for the rich young ruler? Sell everything and give to the poor. Oh, what if he did that? That would be amazing. Wouldn't that be amazing? This guy would be amazing. Judas was like, well, so where, is that my money now? You know? No, no, he was, he, was, he was like, oh, man, he was feeling it too. But, you know, you guys get that? Mm-hmm. You guys got that? Judas was stealing money, and he was the one that gave money to the poor, so he was hoping that the rich man would give all his money right. to the poor, right? Um, but, again, this was a moment in time where it was, you know? What was Samaritan woman's moment? The road to Damascus? It was when God confronted her, you have five husbands. Now you're not sleeping with? It's not your husband. <laughs> Same thing happens to everyone. You kind of, <laughs> you know, you, <laughs> I can see you're a prophet. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's what happens to people. When, when God calls you out, and it's usually through people, right? What's your road to mask? This is an uncomfortable moment in time when you, are, you could either walk from God or we know what happened to you. You followed God. Amen. And I see the road. Everyone needs a road to Damascus. Amen. You know, what was that time for you? That's the first thing you want to think about. And where were you at spiritually? Mm-hmm. That was something special for all of us, wasn't it? Amen. Now you go, I didn't have a road to Damascus. Yes, you did. Mm-hmm. Here's some things. If, if you cry, it's when snots... And tears are all over your place. You're like, you're swelt, you know what I mean, in your face. That's, that's a road to Damascus. Now, if you don't cry, you know, it's, it's a moment in time when your pride gets smashed. And you're like, I'm nothing. I'm crushed. I've been wrong. Your road to Damascus. Amen? Well, what happened after that? Let's go to Luke chapter 7. See, we, if we're going to be people that really experience the gospel in our life, we have to go back. We have to go back to that road to Damascus. That's where Paul always went back. He went back to the road to Damascus time and time again in his conversion story. It's important for us to do that. Amen? Yeah. Amen. This is one scripture I want to end with and I want us to be thinking about here. Luke 7, 47.
Okay? And then we're going to invite Isaiah up to be baptized. Come on. Fire it up. It's always tough when you're preaching because you're like, you know, will you hurry up so I can do this? You know? I was very impatient getting baptized. Uh, by the way, I did get to go to the camp as well. God worked it out. And, yeah, get to say that. <laughs> you know? Um, but I remember that encounter with God when the scales fell off also. Because whenever God humbles you, he also lifts you up. Amen. Right? Amen. He doesn't just humble you to just keep you there. Stay down there. Time out. He humbles you to lift you up. And that's what happened to Paul. His scales fell from his eyes. He could see again. Imagine being blind for three days, what that would be like. Humbling. And I bet you the thorn in his flesh was his eyesight. Whew, that's a deep thing right there. Remind him every day. Why can't I see? Oh, yeah. Blinded by the light. One day Paul will have good eyes in heaven, right? No, no spectacles for him. Be awesome. Luke seven forty seven. Let's read this. We'll come in for a landing. This is about a woman, and actually, this is something that um, Brandon is going to preach next service. So it's just greatly ordainedly planned by God, but. Um, Actually, I didn't plan it. I didn't think about it. I just thought about the scripture. Verse 47 is a very simple one. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Whoever has been forgiven much has great love or loves much. That's another version says. Yeah. And that's what I think I want, you to, I want you to leave with today. Is How much have you been forgiven for? And this is an example of really, how do you become great as a Christian? It's sometimes hard to do that. Do I just discipline myself to be great for God's kingdom? Certainly, the spiritual disciplines are important. Praying, reading your Bible, fasting, uh, confessing your sins. So many great spiritual disciplines that, honestly, we all need to learn. Amen? Amen. But what makes you great as a Christian is your gratitude. Specifically, if you feel like you've been forgiven much... You love much. Yeah. Not a lot of activity in the church. People are not in touch with how much they've been forgiven. Not a lot of love in the church. They're not in touch with how much they've been forgiven. You know? And that's for all of us to do. We can't, I can't tell Cody how much of a sinner he is. Remember when you were doing this? Remember when you were doing that? I don't know. I can't go. I can't do that. I can't connect. He has to do that. But I want you to think about what have you been forgiven? You know, I, I, we, we, we talk about sinless, right? And just writing a sin list out. And I know however that means, but writing out a prayer and going, this is all that you've forgiven for, for me. Talk about Thanksgiving coming up, amen? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great Thanksgiving. Yeah. Instead of writing out the thousand things you are grateful for, write out all your sins and, and realize how much he's forgiven you for. The worst part about it is after baptism. For me, because you know, in my ignorance, I was doing this, I was partying. But it's after Christ that's most convicting. You know, we, we wake up every day knowing 
we stand in the presence of God because of the blood of Jesus and because he's forgiven us. The reason why Paul was the worst of all sinners is because he knew more of the Bible than most people. And he didn't see Moses saying, there's going to be a guy after me who's going to be just like me. Right? He was held more accountable because of his sin. How grateful are you? And I'm not trying to make you feel bad. This is actually exciting. If you would do the work, we did this in our leadership team group. I don't know how many people did it, but first we start with, I'm the least of all God's, you know, least of all, I can't even be an apostle, right? If you're serving in God's kingdom, you know, I get to preach. I don't even deserve to be up here. And why is that? Why don't I deserve to be up here? Well, because this, this, and this, and this really quickly disqualifies me, you know? Then boom, what? What is it the next stage that puts you at the worst of all God's people, the least of all God's people? That's a hard one. I don't know. It might take our whole life to get there. But let's try to get there. Now, I'm not talking about beating ourselves. I think, I think I'm just talking about the reality, the truth of you before God, the reality of truth of you having this grace that you have. And then lastly, it says... Here is a trust where he's saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. See, Paul's encounter with Jesus can impact our lives. Because if God could forgive that guy and not smoke that guy and not do the lightning, that's a great idea, actually. Lightning bolt right to the brain. You know what I mean? Boom. You know? A lot of times people get struck by lightning and they live, though. So, and then, in in many ways, he was struck by lightning, right? But this is what he says. 1 Timothy 1, verse 15 through 16. I want you to think about that, guys. I want you to look at that. Because next time you think, God isn't going to be patient with me. He's sick of me. I'm just messing it up all the time. I can't get this right. I can't get that right. Remember our dear brother, Saul, who became Paul. God showed an example of his immense patience and mercy. And that should give us confidence, not in ourselves, but in God's grace in our lives. Amen. Right now, we're going to invite Isaiah up. Amen. And he's about to experience what we experience, God's immense patience, God's immense mercy in his life. And he will not be counted a sinner any longer in the eyes of God. Amen. 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 Let's invite Amen. Isaiah up here.